This is CliffCentral.com. Everyone, welcome to Frankly Speaking. You haven't heard me sing in ages, uh, but uh, don't worry. I was just resting the vocal cords uh, so that I can come back bigger, better. Uh, welcome to Frankly Speaking. My name is Rory Shabalala. Uh, gonna be with you for the next hour, uh, discussing South Africa's and the world's hot potato political and socio-economic issues. Um, I'm flying solo today. Uh, my mate Andrew is not in. Uh, but we have quite a show, uh, lined up for you as always. Um, today it was discussing, frankly speaking, should South Africa hold an early election? Should South Africa hold an early election? In case you have missed it, um, the Democratic Alliance, South Africa's official opposition party, has, uh, called for an early election. Uh, this is after Jacob Zuma, the president, um, survived a motion of no confidence, the eighth one. Um, since he, since he took up his position as president, um, and not wasting, not wanting to waste even a single moment, the DA immediately then, um, called for a, for an early election. This is possible if you've been, if, if, if you've, if it's been three years since uh, the last election, it is very possible to have an early election. And um, as such, the DA has decided to pursue this. Uh, so we've decided to investigate a little bit more what this means. What this means, they have launched an entire petition. They have, they have, uh, they have, um, they have basic they they've uh, filed a motion they're ready to go they want this man gone um but it raises big questions i guess for 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 us as south africans and i guess for the da for example um what does this mean for democracy you know um democracy dictates that you go to the polls we vote and uh, if you lose then you, then then tough luck um but the da seems to have uh, other things in mind you have a situation where the anc is saying the da does not does, does not respect democracy um because if they respected democracy they would have surely um <clears throat> sorry they would have surely then um waited for the elections to come in 2019 why is it that they can't wait why is it that as they lose election after election they can't simply continue competing in those elections and they continue rather uh to to seek other ways to remove the president um the ANC has the ANC has called it uh, an attempt at a coup d'etat removing a democratically elected government um um, in in ways that aren't necessarily constitutional, but the vote of no confidence was uh, a constitutional constitutional measure, and of course even the even the the this motion to call an early election would be a constitutional measure. They seem to be following all of the constitutional provisions. Our democracy seems to still be intact um, because they aren't they aren't organizing an army. They aren't doing anything of the sort. Um, they are instead pursuing uh, all of the avenues that are available to them um, in the constitution. Uh, but, of course, the question is, after losing eight votes of no confidence, why in the world? Uh, would you continue to do this? Are you sore losers and so on? So this morning we have uh, the chief whip of the Democratic Alliance in the National Assembly, John, Stier John Stienhazen, um, honorable member John Stienhazen, um, in parliamentary parlance. Um, 
He'll be joining us and uh, we're going to put all these questions uh, to him. Good morning, John. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thanks for you. Great, thanks. Thanks for joining us, uh, John. Um, we, we've heard, of course, uh, in the past two days you have launched this uh, petition calling for an early emergency election. Um, can you just explain it to us? What is um, exactly this early election that you're calling for? What, what exactly uh, does it entail? Sure. Uh, Section 50 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa says that a parliament may dissolve and fresh elections be held, uh, provided that three years have passed uh, since the last election. Uh, Obviously, we believe that given the fact uh, of what has happened, and particularly events in the House uh, two weeks ago, where the ANC chose to once again protect and defend President Zuma despite the several uh, findings against him and the uh, terrible details that have emerged over recent weeks of the uh, Gupta leaks, uh, that it's time now for the South African people to have a say on the future direction of South Africa. The Constitution specifically provides for this, uh, where a president or a government um, has lost the faith of uh, those, the voters and of people within that, that party. And I think that's very clear that the rebellion of over 30 of President Zuma's own MPs on the government benches not only unprecedented, but shows very clearly that uh, there's a need for desperate change in South Africa. Why do you feel that uh, in spite of the motion of no confidence vote, um, South Africans haven't expressed themselves? Um, uh, does, that, does that vote mean nothing in terms of the will of South, African, of the, of South Africans? No, because it's very clear that those uh, people in Parliament that voted in favour of President Zuma were acting to protect not only their own careers, uh, but to protect President Zuma. I think that what we've seen uh, in the course of the last year is a massive outpouring uh, of ordinary South Africans uh, putting aside their political differences, their religious differences, and coming together in huge numbers, numbers that we haven't seen since uh, in the post-94 democratic South Africa, coming out on the streets, huge marches, calling for President Jacob Zuma to go. Veterans within his own party calling for President Jacob Zuma to go. Uh, the alliance partners in President Zuma's own ruling alliance calling for President Jacob Zuma to go, and yet none of these calls have been heeded. And so the judiciary have had an opportunity to have their say. I think MPs have had an opportunity to have their say. Uh, church leaders have an opportunity to have their say. But the people who haven't had their say yet are those that matter most in democracy, and those are the voters. And we believe that an early election would get, give them an opportunity to be able to pass judgment not only on President Zuma, but also on the party that's protected him, and also uh, would head off, I believe, uh, us uh, heading towards this terrible fiscal cliff later this year where we face prospects of rating downgrades as President Zuma and his cabinet drag the uh, country's economy further and further towards the abyss. Uh, John, uh, let's test the, the logic of what you're saying just a bit because in Mohali City, uh, there was a motion of, of no confidence, I think, that was passed there. And uh, the Democratic Alliance is said to have then instituted lie detector tests. Um, what was that about? Was that now about subverting the will of the people? Was that not a, a similar attempt by the ANC to say, look, uh, you were supposed to have voted along party lines and you didn't, and we want to try and find that, find out who did it? There's a very big difference, I think, between uh, voting for budgets and for voting for programs and voting in a motion of no confidence against the president who has been found guilty by the constitutional court, uh, the highest court in the land and the, you know, in a constitutional democracy uh, where constitutional sovereignty is important. And 
you know, and to compare that with a, a vote at a mayoral level, I think, uh, is comparing apples with pears, unfortunately. Uh, the, is the principle not the same, John, in the yeah, sense the that you, you, you're, asking, the you're asking councillors to vote on party lines, uh, whereas they can't no, vote the according to their conscience? The principle is not the same. The mm. principle here is that you have a president who has been found guilty by the Constitutional Court of the Republic of South Africa of violations of his oath of office. There is a clear reason for his removal. In the instance of the mayor of that particular municipality, there was no reason for his removal. He had been found not been found guilty by any court. He had not uh, acted as to act of a mission or commission to put that municipality in jeopardy. He had not taken that municipality's uh, economic well-being to the point of crisis. Mm. He had not dismissed members of his MACO at the expense of service delivery and of huge amounts of jobs. Mm. So I think that we're dealing with two completely different categories of cases. Here. Now, so had that mayor mm-hmm. been found guilty by a court of law of having broken... Uh, a broken faith with the people of that municipality, I think it would be a different matter altogether. But here, the Constitutional Court basically took slavery and said, well, look, you know, we, we have found the President guilty of these acts of omission and commission, but we can't remove him. It's over to you, Parliament, to now do your job. Parliament has failed in that job. And that's why we're saying the voters must be given an opportunity. John, how would this uh, early election happen? Take, take us lay people into... Uh, the parliamentary processes. What goes on um, in order for this early election to happen? Well, what would happen is it, it, a motion would have to be passed in the National Assembly. It would require 50% plus one, so 201 votes in the National Assembly to pass. What that would then would trigger Section 50 of the Constitution, which says that within 90 days an election would have to take place. Uh, and the, so South Africa would then, within 90 days, have to go to the polls, they would then cast their votes uh, at, in the ballot boxes. Those would then be tabulated, and uh, you know the results will fall where they may. But I think that you know you then have a purest form of decision making and accountability in the locus where it matters the most, and that's with votes. Is there is there no t- tension that you feel, um, and and this is just really about uh, the reality of the politics of the country in that. Um, if anything like that was to succeed, um, the country might just go up in flames. Understood that maybe the next two years of Zuma is also going to cause that, but um, does that not, not, not present a tension that, that any normal South African who just wants peace um, would be worried that any such thing, because uh, South Africans, uh, one can argue that a lot of South Africans aren't politically educated and we don't have civic education, don't understand our constitution, um, they could simply be riled up uh, and 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 motivated to to cause riots and feel as if democracy has let them down. Well, I disagree. I mean, I don't think too much democracy is ever a bad thing. I think where you've seen countries go up in flames is where democracy is itself subverted, and people feel that the democratic will has been subverted. And I think if you look at recent events in Kenya uh, and other parts of the continent, uh, that is where things have have gone. Uh, you know, people have gone onto the streets and. You've had problems where democracy is subverted. I don't think there's ever been a situation where you have people, you know, burning countries down where there's too much democracy. Precisely, uh, people behave like that when they feel that their democratic will and the exercise of their democratic rights has been infringed upon. I don't think an early election will do that. What I do think think will do that is another 18 months, President Zuma at the helm, pushing more than 9 million people into the unemployment queue. 
Mm. Uh, you know, taking the country to the brink of a ratings downgrade, which is now seems inevitable, uh, you know, pouring more and more public money into failing state-owned enterprises. That is what's going to cause more uh, social unrest as more and more people are unemployed and can't find work as inflation spirals, as food prices increase. That's what's going to get South Africans onto the streets. We believe that we can subvert that by having a, democ- a democratic opportunity for voters to choose the future direction of South Africa, to be able to have the opportunity to close the chapter on the Zuma years and start writing a new chapter for South Africa. Uh, John, you, you paint the ideal picture here, and um, that is that is in an ideal scenario where everyone... Um, understands, but uh, you know quite well that the ANC came out when you when you announced uh, the call for an early election. They came out and said you don't respect democracy. Now, the ANC is 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 heard and and believed by a lot of people. So it wouldn't matter what the reality is and what the ideal is. It would only matter what people believe. Do you believe that uh, you are in a position to convince uh, more people than not that? Uh, their their rights wouldn't have been trampled on. Yes, in reality and constitutionally, their rights would not have been trampled on. But but uh, do you think that the people would believe you? Well, I think they would believe us because we're putting the choice in their hands. We're not having a bunch of politicians making the decisions for them. We're giving them an opportunity to start the future direction of the country. The constitution wouldn't have provided for this type of mechanism. Um, uh, you know, if it was to be as the ANC are historically saying. Regime change. Mm. Regime change happens uh, through the barrel of the gun. It doesn't happen through a democratic election. And one wonders why the ANC are so petrified um, of going to an election, why they have reacted so hysterically to this, using language like regime change. Mm. It's because they know that they themselves are tearing each other apart. The government benches are so divided that you have members that can't even sit in the same room as each other. In parliamentary committees, Parliamentary committees are now being jammed and unable to do their jobs. The Public Service and Administration Committee is a good example. It hasn't been able to meet uh, because they've removed the chairperson, of course, he calls her, and there's so much factionism that it's stopping the people's business from being done. Mm. We need a reset. We need to give South Africans an opportunity to decide what that reset looks like. John, take us into uh, the, the, the strategic machinations of the political parties just ahead of the vote of no confidence, just as an, as an indicator of how you would pursue um, getting the, the number of votes required in order to force this early election, um, considering that the opposition doesn't have more than uh, a 50% plus one majority. How did, you, how did you get it right the first time, and how would you go about getting it right this time, um, especially after the, the results of the vote of no confidence? Well, I think it's important to remember, uh, and I think it's important that people cast their mind back, when the Democratic Alliance leader, Moussi first tabled the motion of no confidence, uh, he was met with the same hysterical reaction um, from both commentators and from uh, you know, people within the political realm, uh, saying, oh, well, you know, all you're going to do is you know, unite the ANC around President Zuma, you know, you're going to uh, force them to defend them, etc. Well, precisely the opposite happens. And we've seen the biggest uh, uh, government rebellion uh, in post-democratic South Africa. So obviously it's going to be a lot of work. We've got to go and convince other parties, and we've got to convince people within the ANC that an early election could well be the precipitator of them being able to force out President Zuma. How do you it convince... Highly unlikely. 
How do you convince, oh, John? Remember, we, 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 we're just lay people. We're not in Parliament. How do you guys do it? How do politicians convince each other? Give, I don't want to give away all the secrets, <laughs> but, you know, there are meetings and that take place and uh, methods of persuasion and, and bringing people around to your arguments. But, you know, the other thing as well, which, what strikes me as, as somewhat odd, is that, um, you know, some of the other opposition parties themselves have come out and said, oh, well, they don't support it, which is odd, mm. because in the State of the Nation address earlier this year, Mr. Monsieur Lacotta called for an early election and Parliament to be dissolved. In November last year, when it was constitutionally impossible, uh, Mr. Julius Malema tweeted that it's time for this Parliament to be dissolved and for fresh elections to be had, mm. as did the UDM, Mr. Bantu Holomisa, earlier this year. Say Parliament must be dissolved, early elections be called. We believe that, you know, that everyone has had an opportunity to cast judgment on the ANC and President Zuma except the people that matter the most, and those are the voters. So we've got to not only convince people in Parliament, but we'll then have to also go out and convince voters uh, on the on the streets and on the doorstep, uh, you know, why this is so important and why it needs to happen. In case you've just joined us, uh, you are listening to Frankly Speaking, uh, discussing, Frankly Speaking, should South Africa have an early election? Uh, if you want to participate in this conversation, by all means, please do. Or you can catch me on Twitter at Rory Shabalala. And of course, you can send us a WhatsApp message on 079-748-2090. We're here with the Chief Whip of the Democratic Alliance, uh, Honorable Member John Steenhazen. John, you're the one that's always causing trouble in Parliament, isn't it? You're the one that's, uh, that is constantly standing up on points of order. Is that you? No, that is me. I wouldn't say causing <laughs> trouble. That's making sure the things, uh, <laughs> that runs and according to the rules. I mean, I think that's the you know the role that that chief whips play, uh, and ensuring that the rules of Parliament are held and applied fairly. Mm. John, how how do you guys know? How does the Democratic Alliance? Because uh, in the statement that you've issued, you say you believe that the ANC has lost the confidence of the majority of South Africans. Um, how do you know this? Um, how do you come about to that conclusion? Uh, without, isn't the election the only way? of determining that. Now, you're using this as a basis for calling for an election. How, how do you guys arrive at the conclusion that the majority of South Africans have lost confidence in the ANC? Well, I think there's, uh, there's empirical evidence, and I think there's also anecdotal evidence. I think that if you look at anecdotally, the, the huge volumes of marches outside the Union buildings on the streets of, uh, of the cities and towns across South Africa, uh, unprecedented numbers of South Africans across all communities. Uh, coming together. The scale of those marches have been massive. Uh, as I said to you, the, the ANC's own alliance partners and people within their own party, uh, you know, senior and influential people in their own party saying, we're going to get voted out of office in 2019 if this current trend continues. But then, of course, we also run polling operations, which uh, you know give us a sense of, of where we sit with the electorate and where the ANC are. And as Musi Maimani announced uh, about a month ago, uh, since we started tracking uh, in South Africa, and we run the most sophisticated polling operations, uh, the ANC have been consistently tracking below 50% uh, for you know for five to six weeks straight. It uh, clearly shows that uh, that people are becoming disillusioned. And you know, I think that if you just listen to the people who phone in on radio stations, you're seeing what's happening on TV. You listen to the, the uh, veterans within the ANC. You listen to even some of the ANC's own candidates. Uh, for the elective conference later this year, mm. you start to get a sense that the ANC is a party in deep trouble that has broken trust and has lost faith uh, of many South Africans. 
So would you, how would you then respond to the accusation that it's just political opportunism? You're seeing the polls uh, uh, where they are and you just want to try and uh, strike while the iron is hot. It actually has nothing to do with uh, the broader South African uh, agenda. Well, we're not a social club or a country club. We don't get together and talk about politics. The whole point of a political party is to be able to take power so that you're able to implement your policies and drive your policy agenda. Uh, that's what we've done in, in Cape Town and now we're doing in the three metros uh, in Nelson Mandela Bay, Chuan and Johannesburg. Mm. I mean, that is the point of politics, is to, is to get power. So I don't think it should be frowned upon that a party you know, is ambitious to get into office. We're ambitious to get into office because we see that South Africa needs this change, needs this reset so desperately. Uh, you know, life can be better for South Africans, but it's going to require tough choices and it's going to require a complete shift in the way things are done. We can't continue on the current trajectory. It needs to be broken. It's heading towards the abyss. We need to arrest that slide. And we believe the best way to do it is by getting a getting the ANC out of power and getting an opposition uh, coalition together and getting into, into the union buildings so we can start to turn things around and improve lives for ordinary South Africans. I don't, we don't hide that. We're not ashamed of that. Mm. That's the whole point of political party exists. John, uh, just coming back to your s- examples of uh, radio callers and uh, marches, um, the marches, while significant, didn't notch up even a million people. Um, and if you think about the elections um, in 2014, the ANC won 11 million votes. Uh, so how do you still just conclude that this is this is representative of the will of the majority? The DA got about 4 million votes. The ANC got 11 million votes. So even if it's lost some votes, um, it's not likely that it has lost the majority of those 11 million, or at least how do you come to the conclusion that it's lost the majority, which is what your statement says, um, on the basis of a marches of, let's at most, 100,000 people, or let's say even more hundreds of thousands, um, and a few people that call in on radio stations. How does that then translate to saying the majority of people? Well, as I said to you, it's anecdotal and empirical, and the, I think that the marches and the volumes of marches and the cross-section of uh, of people have come together for those marches is a very good sample of the feelings and views of a far greater majority of the electorate. I spoke to you about the empirical evidence, which is our polling operation, which shows that the ANC has in fact lost its majority. And that's why we know, without a doubt, that the next election will emerge with a coalition government. Either way, Mm. it will either be an ANC-led coalition government or it will be a DA-led coalition government with other opposition parties. There is no way a single party is going to have a majority after the next election. Uh, and, you know, that's, our polling shows that. And bear in mind, this is the very same polling mm. that we used to project our win in Chwane. Now, you may remember mm. uh, Mr. Gwedeman Tashe was accusing the DA of witchcraft and all sorts of other things when we announced it won Chwane mm. um, before the IEC had announced it. But we knew, and uh, our polling in- information has, has predicted the last two election results into within comma one two percent of the results. So we knew we had won Chwane by our, you know, our polling operation. Mm. And, you know, this informs us and it shows us that the ANC uh, is struggling to get above the 50% mark amongst voters. And this is voter samples across the board, not necessarily DA supporters, mm. uh, but ANC supporters themselves. The extensive polling operation that, uh, that polls across all race groups and all income groups 
and all political groups. What would a typical sample size be of such a poll? Um, well, it's, 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 it's done very differently. There's a number of different types of polling that's done. There's obviously focus group polling. There's telephone polling. I don't have the figures on me. It's not the part of the party that I'm, uh, you know, I'm in charge of. I run the operation in Parliament. Mm. Uh, but it is significant and well within the international norms of what you would do to run effective political polling. Speak to us just a bit about this opposition coalition. Again, as 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 lay people, um, what would an opposition coalition look like, and and how do you govern, and how do you deal with all of the uh, the criticisms that have been uh, labelled or that have been put at at opposition uh, governments? We're seeing what's happening in Nelson Mandela Bay uh, with that op- with that uh, coalition government. Um, what exactly? So take us back to just explaining what uh, a, a coalition is and how it operates, how it governs, and then and then just dealing with some of the weaknesses of coalition governments that tend to actually not achieve much, and because they're spending all of their time trying to negotiate. Well, I've looked at it that that uh, if you look back at the history of South Africa, very little has changed in South Africa except through coalition. The ANC itself, uh, government itself, is a coalition between the ANC, Kasatu, and the South African Communist Party. Um, Except you know, the, that the, the, the other two don't don't uh, contest elections, which is which. No, is but they're still they're still a co- they're still a coalition because they exist and they have their own Congress. So it, you, nothing has changed in South Africa. If you look back right to you know, right back even to our, our terrible past, uh, where you've had change, it's always been when when coalitions have come together. And um, coalitions, of course, are not uh, are not easy, and you've got to work at them all the time. You know, they are like a marriage, and those people who are married will know that a marriage requires work at it every single day. Uh, there are different personalities and you know different parties. But where they come together um, uh, to coalesce around a common set of principles and, and goals that that government wants to achieve, uh, you know, it, it can be done. And, I mean, if you look at Germany's most stable period um, of rapid economic growth and expansion was during the years of coalition between the uh, Socialist Party and the Christian Democrats. If you look at large uh, parts of Europe, for instance, many of the countries that are a totally government coalition and have been for many, many years, and they're able to achieve growth rates, be able to keep uh, employment high, uh, and to keep those economies moving. But, uh, you know, it's not easy. I'm not saying to you that, you know, that coalition governments are a panacea in themselves. Uh, they, you know, they are, and, we, and you've seen some of the difficulties that we've had in Nelson and Dela Bay um, over the last weeks, but... I think that Mr. Holmes himself has come and said, well, they're committed to the coalition still. Uh, you know, obviously there's some personality differences that occur. But I think that one of the things about a coalition government is that it adds the parties then act as handbrakes on each other to ensure that, you know, and they keep each other on it so that no one party uh, dominates or has a monopoly mm. on the political uh, direction of the country. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think that they, they act as checks and balances on each other. Uh, and so I, I'm quite excited about the future under under coalitions. Of course, it would be great to be able to get into power uh, with an absolute majority. But I think in the current political landscape, that's simply not possible anymore. No party is going to be able to achieve uh, those numbers uh, to be able to govern on their own in the future. John, just to explain for us the just the brass tacks of coalitions, who gets to be president um how do you make decisions? How 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 do they just uh, in sort of very simple practical terms? How how do uh, coalitions operate? 
Sure. Well, obviously, I mean, you've, what you do is each party has to go out and, you know, set their stall out before the voters. And voters must decide, you know, which parts of the manifesto, which parties manifesto they like, and they reflect that in the election results. Thereafter, you, you start a process of negotiation and you start on the key principles around which you're going to coalesce. So, by the way, this is only if none of the parties achieve 50%. Only if none of the parties achieve 50%. You'll mm-hmm. go into negotiations with each other um, to see how you can form a government. And obviously, that's where the horse trading takes place. And, you know, not every party is going to get every aspect of their manifesto, uh, you know, realized because it is a process of compromise. And it's in that negotiation where there generally is uh, trading around who will take what position. Uh, the general trend, uh, you know, certainly internationally, is that the party with the biggest uh, number of votes then takes, you know, the, the presidency, and other cabinet positions are then dished out, uh, you know, according to the strength of the, or you know, of the other parties. Uh, there may be some, uh, you know, uh, particular portfolios that a particular party who's driven an issue uh, very hard in the election may feel that they would like to take. Uh, but again, that's not a hard and fast rule. It all comes down to that negotiation. Generally, what happens in, a, as we've done in the three metros, uh, a coalition agreement is then signed, and the parties then build into that coalition agreement dispute resolution mechanisms uh, to be able to deal with disagreements. Uh, you know, uh, indicating that parties are also free to differ on certain issues. But when it comes to important things like confidence motions, uh, budgets. Um, IDPs, uh, you know, any particular big piece of legislation, parties are generally bind together to themselves in that agreement to make sure that those pass. So you give parties latitude to be able to still be themselves because that's what a multi-party democracy is all about. But you do come together around sharing a set of common objectives that you wish to achieve over that five-year period. Uh, Julius Malema has uh, on Twitter said, I can smell government of national unity uh, because South Africans are sick and tired of one-party dominance. Um, and then the EFF has seemed to do an about turn on, um, or at least uh, have, have not endorsed this idea of an early election. So how does that uh, factor? It, it's confusing. He says he smells this, what you speak of coalition. Are you are they just seeing it in 2019, or are, is there something that we that you guys know that we don't? Well, I mean, I, as I said to you, I think that we happen to believe that an early election is important and would give South Africa that very important opportunity for a reset uh, to be able to prevent us, you know, heading off that cliff. Uh, Mr. Malema himself recognised that when he tweeted uh, earlier this year around the need for Parliament to dissolve and for early elections to be held. Um, you know, we obviously would, would hope so to what, convince what, them. So what's changed? What, what's changed? Because uh, th- that endorsement seems to have removed. Would it, do you think they would have preferred that they be the ones that advance it? What, what is it that has changed between then and now? I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not a member of the EFF, uh, and I, you know, I'm not party to uh, Mr. Malema's inner circle, so I'm not sure what would have changed his mind uh, between his tweet and uh, Mr. Maimani's call for an early election. But, except, you know, except you just said to us that you 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 continue to negotiate and talk. Um, there must be something that you guys believe um, is happening um, that that would allow for this to potentially be a success. What what is it? Uh, uh, bring us into your confidence, John. Um, well, obviously, I don't I, I don't negotiate with the other. Oh, we've got a you know we've got a panel uh, of uh, people that negotiate. Uh, at an ongoing level with the uh, leaders, and it's generally the, the party leaders themselves 
that meet at least once a month to discuss matters of mutual concern and, and interest. And I've no doubt that uh, Mr. Maimani will be setting out his case very clearly at the, very, at the next meeting uh, of these opposition leaders. But what we can all think, whether you're in the EFF or whether you're in COPE or the UDM or in the DA, you can sense the palpable need for change in South Africa. Uh, it, you, you can feel it. You can see that there's a hunger from ordinary South Africans for something different to happen, um, realizing that we can't continue on this current path of massive unemployment, huge deprivation, and a widening structural inequality in South Africa. We need change, and you know, people need hope that things are going to get better. If we don't have that, I really fear we're going to end up with the model you spoke about earlier uh, in the interview, where you have people bursting out on the streets and taking out their frustrations, not through democratic means, but through, through other means. You've you've issued a petition um, on this, where you're inviting South Africans to um, sign the petition. What would a petition achieve that all of our marches and eight votes of no confidence have not achieved? What happens once you've signed a petition? Is there any constitutional provision that gives that petition any power? Well, petitions are presented to Parliament uh, in terms of uh, Parliament's rules, and it is then obliged to be sent to a parliamentary portfolio committee by the Speaker uh, to be debated and discussed. So um, it does two things. A, it gives an indication of the momentum and the sentiment and feeling, but there's also then a parliamentary process that follows uh, once that petition is tabled uh, by a member on behalf of all of those people, uh, and it then it, it, it forces and triggers a discussion on the matter in Parliament. Do you need do you need all those words? Don't you guys already do that anyway without without all of our signatures? Um, what what is there a specific thing? Is this separate to what you guys would normally do in the course of uh, of parliament? Well, on big issues like this, we try and you know get a, a huge momentum of people, um, you know, behind uh, you know behind a particular campaign or issue uh, to you know to try and show that there is volume and support. So I sincerely hope you will be signing the petition and helping us to, to get this before Parliament. Is, is the DA not losing support um, of those that might, that might see it as, as, as sore losers? Um, you, you, you went ahead, you tried the vote of no confidence, you lost, um, and now you're trying to, to do this thing. There, there's certainly, if you look at social media, there's been a turn of sentiment, uh, even amongst people that were sympathetic on the vote of no confidence, to say, ah, geez, guys, you know, let it go. Um, this thing isn't going to... We've tried, and uh, we just now have to wait for 2019 or at least for the courts to find him guilty or something? No, I don't think we're losing uh, support at all. I think quite the opposite, actually. And again, I remind you about the same talking heads and the same chatter that occurred when we first tabled the motion of no confidence. And yes, we may have lost the vote, but sometimes when you lose, you win. Uh, a huge rebellion on the government benches. I mean, I don't think we can underplay or, uh, or downplay the significance of those 30-something government MPs who rebelled against their own president. That is significant. Uh, and also what has happened now is that the ANC have taken full ownership of President Zuma. They now own in Tanza. They now own the violation of the oath of office. They now own the Guptas. Because when you have ANC, you end up with Zuma. And when you have Zuma, you end up with the ANC. They're now coupled at the post. And I think the ANC made a huge mistake. They had an opportunity to cut their losses, Get rid of a president who, uh, you know, has been found guilty by the constitutional court, implicated of making huge sums of money for him and his family and friends through the Gupta leaks. They had an opportunity to cut their losses. 
they chose to take ownership. They're not coupled at the vote. They're one and the same. You vote for one, you get the other. Are you trying to get this done before the elective Congress? Uh, do you think sentiment is then going to swing again when people realize that there's a new leader, maybe somebody that they feel is more credible um, at the ANC and potentially even as president of the country? Is this what it's all about, is trying to beat the, 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 the ANC's elective Congress in December? Well, obviously, I mean, the more that we can focus the ANC's mind about what a what going into an early election would look like and the Zuma president, I think the more it sharpens their focus on how they need to <laughs> to do the right thing as a political party and, you know, get rid of President Zuma and start to write a new chapter for South Africa. So the more pressure we can keep up, I think the better it is. Um, Louis had Ralph Mateka on, uh, on, on the show recently, just discussing some scenarios. And I just want to test them with you as somebody who is in the belly of politics in South Africa around what happens to, uh, President Zuma. Uh, of course, he's, he's facing the court, the court, uh, the court proceedings. Um, so if you can just tell us a little bit more about what's happening, I believe there's three different things that are happening, uh, in the month of September that might be definitive in terms of his future. Uh, there's also a scenario of, uh, of let's say the early election and, and we've discussed, we spent most of the show discussing it and you feel that, uh, it might be a plausible way, a, a, pl- a plausible uh, approach. Um, there is the approach that he goes and gets uh, a proxy elected in December, ANC, and um, continues to govern from from at least the grave. Um, and then there's there's been talk, and Ralph thought this was a crazy proposition, but that um, there is there there may be um, a, a, what a state of emergency uh, conditions fomented for a state of emergency that would allow him to just to acquire certain powers that could then see him overriding the Constitution in certain respects. Uh, what do you think about uh, those different uh, scenarios and which one you think is most plausible? Well, look, I mean, I think the first thing that, that President Jacob Zuma wants to do is to stay out of jail. I mean, he's facing, as you rightly say, a very tough month of September. Uh, there's a number of court cases, the uh, 783 charges of fraud, corruption, racketeering, his appeal against that in the Supreme Court of Appeal, the impeachment in the Constitutional Court, and a variety of other legal skirmishes. But let's just look at those scenarios as you say Ralph has set them out. I think what what President Jacob Zuma is desperately trying to do is to make sure that uh, in Kosozana Dlamini Zuma is elected in December uh, because he knows that he has the best prospect of staying out of jail. It's highly unlikely that, uh, you know, that uh, a former wife and uh, mother of children is going to jail the father. Uh, and I think that that, that is the best-case scenario for him. Uh, the other option which you speak about is that, um, and it, it certainly there's some talk doing the rounds here in Parliament, in the corridors, around a forced collapse of the conference, which is Zuma staying on uh, under the pretext that he's the only man who can unite the ANC and keep it going forward. Uh, and then, you know, obviously pushing, uh, pushing on that way. But either way, Mr. Zuma is not going to want to relinquish control of the ANC. Because what the ANC is now is not merely a political party. It is a multi-billion rand corporate operation with huge amounts of money flowing from the state, which is being subverted from service delivery and from serving the people of South Africa into the pockets of a few wealthy individuals and connected cronies. They don't want those taps to run dry. The Zuma doesn't want those taps to run dry. That is why it is essential that at all costs he holds on to power, either through the proxy or by collapsing their conference later this year. 
His worst case scenario is obviously somebody being elected who then goes after him and ensures that he is you know, held accountable. But there's also the other talk around the so-called amnesty or an mm. exit package being yeah. negotiated for Mr. Zuma. I think that the context and the uh, consequences of that would be horrific for South Africa, essentially rewarding somebody who's uh, you know, behaved in the way that he has by giving him a huge financial payout and telling him to go off and sin no more. I think he does deserve an exit package, but the only exit package he deserves is an orange uniform where he can serve out his time uh, for the uh, criminal acts that he has committed, feminine ADC charges of fraud, corruption, racketeering, uh, and he needs to face justice for those. John, uh, the the EFF has said if the Democratic Alliance truly wants Parliament to be dissolved, all they need to do is to is to resign all of their members as well as their party from Parliament in section in terms of section uh, section forty six one of the Constitution, uh, which states that the National Assembly consists of no fewer than three hundred and fifty and no more than four hundred members. Um, what can you just explain this section to us and uh, what whether this is a plausibility and why you haven't pursued that rather? Well, we haven't pursued it because it's a completely amateur and uh, incorrect interpretation of that particular clause, as uh, Professor Pierre de Force and a variety of other legal and constitutional uh, academics have pointed out. It's a completely uh, farcical reading of the section. All that section does is sets out the upper and lower limits for the number of members of the National Assembly. Now, if a party withdrew or, or resigned, those would simply be reflected as vacancies and you can have vacancies for uh, a number of years in the National Assembly. It would make no difference whatsoever uh, whether Parliament continued or not. Obviously, a situation would exist if you had, you know, 50% uh, of Parliament resigning because it would make it virtually impossible to sign laws. But parties mm. resigning and bringing that number down uh, to the numbers that you speak about would, uh, of below 350 uh, would have no impact on, on, what's, uh, on Parliament whatsoever and would certainly never trigger a dissolution of Parliament. You speak about the signing of laws, and of course, we, with all of these things that happen in Parliament, we forget that uh, Parliament's function is primarily to sign laws. Um, is all of this stuff not uh, holding up uh, Parliament's legislative agenda? Um, how many how many laws has Parliament uh, managed to pass um, in the in the past sort of year or two uh, versus previous Parliaments? Uh, well, I think that it's more than more what's blocking Parliament from achieving its goal is the ANC's infighting. Uh, this year, only six pieces of legislation have passed Parliament and been signed into law by the President. We have 32 pending pieces of legislation that are before Parliament, uh, and it's highly unlikely, given the fact that we're now, uh, because Parliament is now being having to dance to the ANC's internal tune, so we had to have this long break so that they could have their policy conference. Uh, and so we've lost a huge amount of time to pass legislation there. And, of course, Parliament's definitely not going to sit past the 1st of December uh, and probably will you know, will start to, to rise far sooner because, obviously, the ANC members want to get out onto the hustings and start agitating and mobilising for their candidates ahead of the elective conference. So we essentially have two-month window of uh, legislative time left before the end of this year. Um, to pass legislation. I don't see much legislation being passed, uh, particularly given the fact that there's going to be a priority when we get back after the next recess of looking at the uh, medium-term budget policy statement and the uh, budget reports and annual reporting that's required from all the committees. 
So it's highly unlikely that we'll get through even two or three of those 32 pieces of legislation that, uh, that we're, we're having to process. And this is a problem uh, because, as you rightly say, one of the four key things that uh, the Constitution uh, tasked Parliament with doing is passing legislation. Uh, we've been had an appalling year for legislation, but mainly it's the ANC infighting, uh, you know, committees that have not been able to meet because uh, the members hate each other on that committee from within the ANC. Uh, you just only have to look at what's happened to the Home Affairs Committee, the Public Enterprises Committee, uh, the Public Service Administration Committee, just have a snapshot of how the ANC's internal politics have been so debilitating on the people's business. And that's one other reason why we're saying that you know, the people's business is being frustrated. Let's go to an early election so we can elect a new parliament that can get on with the people's business. Um, what happens then in that time? So, for example, in this period where you're preparing for the motion of no confidence, does other parliamentary work uh, continue or does everything uh, become focused on uh, like a, mo- a big motion like this? No, everything should continue in theory. But um, as you would know, uh, the run-up to this particular motion of no confidence was fraught because of the infighting with the ANC. I mean, even ANC MPs coming out openly saying that they were going to vote with their conscience. There had been a variety of concerns. Of course, the uh, run-up to the secret ballot announcement by the Speaker was fraught with, um, with tension, uh, and obviously that has impacted on, uh, you know, on Parliament as well. And uh, what then do... What then happens if um, if if you lose uh, at least this next bid of, uh, of of dissolving parliament? Do you think that that does not um, lose you co- the confidence of South Africans to say you keep trying and you keep defeating? I mean, strategically, um, you know, being seen to be constantly defeated might actually result in uh, what DA's attempts and DA's efforts being EFF's gains, maybe um, where you are not seen as. Uh, at least uh, strong enough to to win, whereas the EFF might be saying we only take on fights that we feel we can win. Well, I don't think that's the case at all, I and mean, not a single EFF motion has passed the House since they've been in the House. Uh, uh, not a single one, um, and I certainly don't think that that is the case. And I think if you look at the recent by-election results uh, in Central Johannesburg, uh, where the DA came within a hair's breadth of winning that ward of the ANC. EFF trailing way behind in, in the lower 6%, actually having lost some support uh, from the last election. So I don't think that that narrative uh, is essentially true. I know it's a popular one among some talking heads, but it's not borne out by the facts. Uh, and again, you know, the, as a repeat the point, uh, the EFF has not had a single motion uh, past the National Assembly since they've been here. Uh, and, you know, the thing is that we've got to keep doing what we can do. Parliament, uh, you know, there's only two ways you can remove a president, and, you know, they both involve parliamentary action steps. Parliament has to be the arena we hold the executive accountable. And as I said earlier, sometimes when you lose, you may win. Uh, you know, and I think that the last motion of no confidence has been a great win uh, for the opposition. And I think South Africans uh, can see and appreciate that we're doing all we can, both within Parliament and outside Parliament, to try and bring this hope and change uh, to them. What does... So, uh, President Jacob Zuma is just one part of of what seems to be an entire web of problems uh, for South Africa. Um, So, apart from 
what gets done in parliament, what gets done um, about uh, all these municipalities that uh, have have uh, um, these qualified audit reports and all of the money that gets wasted. It, it, what 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 other agendas are there? Is there are there similar things in motion um, at a municipal level that we never hear about um, provincially? What tends to happen because the focus tends to be primarily on national assembly, um, whereas we we also have the provision provincial legislatures and of course municipal councils. Um, <clears throat> can you give us a sense of uh, how how this the same energy to hold accountable is being translated um, into the other spheres of government? Well, obviously, I mean, we wherever whatever forum we are, whether we're, we're in opposition, we do our very best to hold uh, the local government accountable. Uh, and if you look at what the great work being done by the DA in places like Etikwene, uh, in Ekerleni, um and other metros where we don't, and, you know, we attempts to try and uh, and hold the government accountable. Unfortunately, you know, uh, you have all these bad audit results. They're one day of bad headlines, generally, because we lack a consequence framework. I'm very excited that the Auditor General is starting to talk about, you know, having real consequences felt for um, for uh, the those who do wrong and at a municipal and provincial level. But also to understand this, the web of state capture extends far below, far beyond uh, the union building uh, state-owned entities and government departments. It reaches out the tentacles into provincial government, as we've seen in the Freda Dairy matter, and into the heart of local government as well. There are captured uh, MAICO members uh, you know, in those municipalities who are doing the bidding of this vast network of mutually reinforcing benefits that's tapping you know, uh, money out from where it should be spent on service delivery and providing... Uh, effective and accountable government to the people and into the pockets of these well-connected individuals that make up the network. Um, John, obviously as just a, a normal South African that's not a politician, um, we look at this and we say, cheapers, you know, we've tried marching, we've tried, um, we've tried, you know, supporting uh, these motions of of, of of votes of no confidence. We've we've tried all we can, and of course, you say you guys are politicians. You're not a social club. Your job is to try and get power. Um, why should we, as just ordinary South Africans, remain engaged in in this conversation? I mean, you guys will continue to seek power um, as politicians do, but uh, why does this even require us? That we because we just get to a point where we think, ah, oh, you know what. It doesn't help. Uh, we might we might as well just wait for 2019. Well, I think that citizens have a choice to make in South Africa, and uh, it's a very simple choice. Uh, we can be a quiet, reflective pool of all that's wrong in South Africa, or we can break that surface and be ripples of hope and change uh, that make a difference in South Africa. And engaged citizenry is essential uh, for the democratic well-being and health of, of any multi-party democracy. There is just too much at stake for any ordinary citizen to say that they're not interested in politics. They may not be interested in politics, but politics is very interested in them. And as people have seen, both whether you're standing in the unemployment queue, you're waiting for four weeks to get a identity document at a home affairs office, you're you know worried whether your social grants are going to be paid. Politics impacts on the ordinary lives of South Africans. Citizens cannot afford not to be engaged and participating fully in the process. So what does that look like beyond um, marching? 
Well, it looks like holding your public representatives accountable at a local, provincial, and national how level. Do, how do we do and, that? Well, you do it through attending your ward committee meetings, you're forcing your public representatives to have report back meetings, uh, you know, attending uh, parliament, you know, writing to your local representatives, holding them accountable, ensuring that they are representing your interests uh, to the best of their ability. As we prepare to, to, to sign off, John, um, and thank you very much for, for joining us, um, what does, what does the, the future look like, or at least the near future um, for South Africa? Um, if this thing fails, um, what happens next? Well, I don't want it to fail, and we certainly are doing everything we can to make sure it doesn't fail. Um, I really, truly, passionately believe uh, that the best days of South Africa still lie ahead of us, and that we've shown that even in the most difficult times, when we've stood together as citizens and South Africans, we've been able to pull off miracles. I still believe that we can have another miracle in South Africa. We can have hope and change. And that if we, you know, if we put our collective shoulders to the wheel, uh, we can realize this country's amazing potential that it has to be the special place on the southernmost tip of this great continent. And, and what do you say to people that say, but uh, can we trust the DA? Uh, we've heard Helen Ziller and the comments that she's made, and, and it remains a, a credible threat in many people's minds um, that the DA doesn't quite believe what we believe about the equality of people, even though it says it. Um, we, we see the ANC uh, doing things that are counter to what it says, so why not the DA? Well, I think you've got to trust but verify. And I think that if you look at the areas that we govern, uh, look at the track record of service delivery, particularly look at, at the Western Cape, highest access to basic services, best housing delivery, uh, you know, uh, best uh, schooling provided, um, you know, water and sanitation by government's own report, uh, the, the best, the best social service packages for the poor. And uh, you've got to, you've got to, you know, trust but verify. And I think that where we do govern and we've been given the opportunities to govern, People have, sh- have been shown through, through physical manifestation that jobs are created, that you know, life is better. And while it's not perfect, you know, and only life is perfect under any government, uh, you know, things are certainly a lot better in other, than they are in other ANC government metros. And so take the opportunity, you know, give it a try. What have you got to lose? Another five years of the ANC or a chance to change. There used to be a famous advert for Kane called Mainstay. You can stay as you are for the rest of your life, or you can change to the DA. <laughs> I think that's the, um, uh, the, the, the founding father of Ghana uh, said that Kwame uh, Nkrumah said it's far better to be free to govern or misgovern yourself than to be governed by anybody else. And uh, let me just challenge you on that. Is yes, you, you you guys are being effective in the Western Cape, but the Premier of the Western Cape doesn't seem to. Uh, respect or at least the dignity of the people that she's delivering to. So, so as much as yes, I hear you say yes, you've got water, but um, how does that then translate to dignity? Look, I don't. I think that the tweet that Mr. Lekodak was ill-advised, and I certainly don't agree with it. I think uh, I think it was a wrong analysis. But let me say that Ilan Villas and more uh, for liberating uh, people of South Africa, bringing freedom and democracy. Uh, than many people sitting on the ANC benches today. This is a woman who looked after and harbored uh, senior ANC MPs uh, today that sit on those benches in her house, hid them from their past This is the lady who exposed the lie behind Zico's murder. Judging somebody's whole career and their contribution to suffering by a single ill-advised tweet, uh, I think is an unfair reflection. I think the ANC 
have far except, more to answer, Mr. Gold, than anything that Helen Except Miller has. we're doing the same. We're doing the same for Jacob Zuma, who who has been part of the the struggle for a lot longer than his his disastrous administration. No. Yeah, well, I believe he's, he's been given the same opportunity that Helen Zilla has to deliver and to govern. Uh, she succeeded, and he has failed. All right. Well, thanks a lot, John, for for joining us, and uh, all the best uh, with your petition. Let's see what happens next. Thank you. Make sure you sign it and get it back to us as quickly as possible. <laughs> You'll have to convince <laughs> me a little more, a John. Privilege. It's been a real privilege. Thank you for Thank the Thank you. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, conversation with John Steenhazen, the chief whip of the Democratic Alliance uh, in the National Assembly. Should South Africa have an early election? Uh, well, I don't know, man. Um, I'm still worried about the peace in the country. I, I don't know what it's going to achieve. They seem to know something that we don't. Um, w- let's just wait and see. Will I sign the petition? I don't know. The question is, will you? I'm out of here. Cheers. This is CliffCentral.com.